I realise in hindsight I've done clinician and other things but this is the first official one in that series and the topic is being a clinician and a type 1 diabetic. My guest is Felicity Bell. Um, you'll hear in this recording that I spend most of the session being educated at high speed and appreciating my own ignorance about type 1 diabetes and the conversation brings up so many useful aspects around how we how we relate how we relate to people and quite often judge people with in this case specifically diabetes but it our conversation translates to other long-term chronic conditions um yeah i got loads of education about how much work is actually involved in being a type 1 diabetic and also um really surprised actually how much relevance that has to um, Felicity's situation as a clinician. So really great topic to have as the first one of the clinician and series. Let me know what you think. I'm going to come back at the end and um, I'm going to invite you to think about what other clinician and episodes might be relevant. But listen to this one and it might trigger some thoughts as to, to what other topics might be relevant in this series. Sit back, enjoy, and I will be back at the end. Hello and welcome to session 35 of You Matter, where I am sitting here with my good friend Felicity Bell who answered the call to come on this series of Clinician And. And Felicity's And is being a diabetic. So a clinician and a diabetic. So welcome, Flick. Hello. Thank nice you. Again. I thought I was going to be Clinician And Newcastle United fan, so... Well, you have come dressed for that, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy, to, wearing, happy to talk about... about about type 1 diabetes in me Sam Fender outfit. Yeah, well, yeah, um, actually, yeah, clinician and Sam Fender fan. Let's totally change the topic <laughs> of the podcast and do that. <laughs> Brilliant. Maybe Sam Fender's diabetic and we can merge the two. He's, he's got a health condition because he wrote how an oldie death cue about his NHS letter, so maybe. Maybe I'll get him on you, Matt, next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid you have to talk about being a clinician and being diabetic. There's no getting around it. No problem. But I do like some French talk. <laughs> so let's go straight in. Tell me about being diabetic um, and specifically when did you get diagnosed? What's your particular type 1 diabetes story? Well, I was a, I was a clinician before I was a diabetic. Most people with type 1 are diagnosed as, as kids, but, it, but you don't have to be. Uh, I met a 40-year-old woman who had just been diagnosed Um so I was 22 so I was newly qualified about a year qualified and I was on a an elderly rehab rotation it was my first out of trust rotation so I was working for a big teaching hospital in Birmingham um, and and it had been intense and then you get the odd rotation that was um, outside of the the hive of activity of the the big hospital Um, and I was walking an hour there and an hour back because, because partly because it was a nice a nice enough walk through the autumn uh, through a big park and also because I had better things to spend my new salary on like going out to the bull ring shopping center uh, so I thought yeah I'll just walk and so I wasn't surprised that I was a bit tired but you know I, I remember walking to work and going up the stairs of the hospital and thinking god my quads feel fatigued like more fatigued than I might expect from just an hour's walk as a otherwise healthy 22 year old person um and i also remember having a sensation in the park I remember where i was thinking i just don't feel right but i don't i couldn't pin anything on it I'd, I'd go to a gp and just say i have no symptoms but i just don't feel right and they'd be like oh okay 22 year old girl like is it anxiety um and so so i never really I just kind of pushed pushed on until one day, I one week, I, I developed a, a UTI and I sat on it for a week and I thought, this will just go away in time. And it didn't. It got worse. And it. I remember one Friday, yeah, I had back pain. I thought, this is in my kidneys. I probably should get this looked at. 
So I got a, an emergency GP appointment at five o'clock that night, uh, walked my hour back there. And um, so I had a, it was a, the practice nurse who took a urine sample and said, yes, you have an infection, but we, we've dipped this for glucose and the scale is kind of light green to dark green and yours is off the scale. Yours is black. Um, any reason why that would be <laughs> like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like the, he's, he's obviously starting to think this is, might be diabetic, uh, diabetic person. Um, of course I'm, I'm thinking, are you going to give me anything for this back pain and this, this acute infection that I've come with? Um, uh, so they tested my finger with a finger prick blood test. Um, and my, the, my blood sugar was 12 A normal, normal non-diabetic blood sugar would be between like four and maybe seven or maybe eight if you if you've just eaten um four to six is probably your, your standard uh so 12 was 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 high um so he says right well you're gonna have to go away and fast overnight um and come back tomorrow morning and we'll retest this so i did came back having not eaten since my tea and finger prick blood test was still 12 so they said, oh, well, you'll have to speak to your GP. So the GP saw me and I suspect was just simply blinded by the fact that I was 22 and just saw twos and said, you're type two diabetic. And I had no I had no other risk factors, not not one other risk factor um, other than I had a blood sugar of 12. Like not, not, not one other um my ethnicity, my age, my my body type, my, not my lifestyle, none of it matched. Um, but they said, you're a type two. Um Here's some metformin. Here is no means of testing your blood sugar. I didn't get a kit or anything like that. Um, and then one one GP told me you must cut out all sugar, which isn't isn't even even the advice for type two diabetes. It's, it's carbohydrates you want to be looking at. But yeah, cut out all sugar. Um, and and then a, a, a later GP, I went back to the doctors and I said, you know, I'm, I'm standing in Sainsbury's, almost crying because I'm looking at pasta sauce and it says of which sugars how how on earth what am i meant to eat um and they said oh well you know what you know there's no such thing really as a diabetic diet it's more of a cardiovascular diet that we should all be thinking like what what does that mean i'm a healthcare professional what is a cardiovascular diet so fortunately i'm still on this rotation um with a bunch of very clued up junior doctors um on on, on the ward and they're listening to to what I'm telling them and saying, I don't think this seems right. You haven't had, you haven't had a blood test per se. You've had a finger prick test, um, fasting there, but I don't, I don't think you've been diagnosed properly. And they'd said they were going to send me to the diabetes centre as well, GP. To this day, I'm waiting for that referral for my type two diabetes, um, and so. I was advised by the doctors on my rotation to get a second opinion, which I did. Uh, and the GP was like, oh, brilliant. I've just done my exams on diabetes. <laughs> okay, Great. Um, so she said she tested my blood sugars then and they were at this point 19. So you you need to go to the diabetic centre. You need to, like, I'm, I'm on metformin. It's clearly doing nothing because I've got no insulin. And I can talk about the difference between type one and type two as well. Cause that's, um, that's something I've, I've definitely learned. Um, the, yeah, so I got to the diabetes center with this blood sugar of 19 and and I was on insulin. They gave me an injection of insulin there and then. And then I was they, I came back the next day and, and was prescribed it and talked to about all the everything. Because um, that's the thing with type 1 diabetes. It's like, this is serious. Like, this is some serious medication that you have to take every single day and you have to get it right. Um, just, I'm, I'm really pleased I was where I was, I was 22. I hadn't had no, no dependents really was, you know, had, had clued up housemates who were also healthcare professionals. I was on a, a much more relaxed rotation than I had been at, in, in the hospital. It was a good time of life to be landed with something like this. I'm so pleased I wasn't a child. I'm so pleased I wasn't a student. I'm so pleased I wasn't older. It just was, yeah, it was a good time. Um, if I was going to get it. So yes, that was that was me. So that was that was that took between the October and the December of the year I was twenty two, which I forget maybe maybe twenty ten, um, and I'm thirty six now. So it's been a while. Mm. Well, yeah, it's quite a story, isn't it? And yeah, you hope quite an unusual one. You do, 
and but also thank goodness I wasn't in a coma because that would have just yeah. people often say oh you must have been undiagnosed for a long time and I actually don't think I was right. I think I was I think I was um asymptomatic because it was so new and 12 when you tested my blood sugars and it was 12 it's kind of not the be all and end all like I might be 12 right now and it's not a big deal as long as it's not that 12 all the time like 12 is not catastrophically high like you're not calling an ambulance at 12 mm -hmm. I mean you're calling an ambulance if you think someone's type one undiagnosed but that's that's another story but it was if that would have just gone on and on and on my blood sugars would have got higher and higher past 19 and then I would have gone into ketoacidosis and, yeah. and that's a that's a coma and that's how most people get diagnosed I, I don't know, I say most, you, a lot is that I mean that is the classic story that you hear isn't it but yeah is that genuinely the most common scenario that somebody goes into that state it that's a good question, actually. I can't say for sure that that, that is the most common. Uh, but that's what I tend to hear with, with diagnosis mm. stories is people are seriously ill by the end of it. And it's funny because when I was in that time, so I had those two months between, it was a bit less than two months. It was kind of maybe middle of October till the 2nd of December, which is when I got put on insulin. Um, it included a very fun birthday. Um, so the 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 symptoms as I say I had no symptoms other than feel a bit tired a bit fatigued and my quads when I climbed stairs suddenly I was waking up in the night and I had to have a drink because I was so thirsty and I couldn't do that walk that hour's walk but I couldn't do it without stopping at the petrol station halfway and getting a, a, a drink of water it was it was weird like that's when I started to develop symptoms and that, that mm. probably would have been what I would have put two and two together and thought well, I probably wouldn't have thought diabetes, but I probably would have thought oh, I'm not quite right. Um, the other thing I'd had was in the previous rotation, I was on outpatients and I used to get to lunchtime and feel really not faint, but what turns out to probably be relatively hypoglycemic. Mm. So I wouldn't have been hypo, but, but the, the diabetic nurse suggested I was probably going from a really high blood sugar to still a very high blood sugar. But because it's because I had such a way to, you know, maybe I was going from 12 to six, mm. um, which is a big, much bigger drop than the person who's going from six to 5.5 as a non-diabetic. Um, mm. So I was feeling that drop and I'd have to eat. Um, and it was difficult because I was an outpatient. So I had to wait until lunchtime. Um so yes, all in all, but yeah, so I developed symptoms eventually, but they weren't terrible and, and they were when I kind of was suspicious of what I was dealing with. When you look back, so having eventually got that diagnosis, did you do any sort of retrospective analysis of when you were much younger, like when you were a child, playing sports at school or anything, did you, is there anything you can kind of go, oh yeah, actually that wasn't like everybody else and there was a pattern or is there literally nothing? Not at all. No. And and I also I wouldn't have been diabetic then. It wouldn't have gone undiagnosed uh, for very long. Um, but I, I do think I was probably early and I'd had earlier that autumn, I'd had a vomiting bug. And I I start, I wonder if that was an infection that then became an autoimmune thing, um, whether it was the UTI itself. That seems very fast. I don't know. But but I, yeah, nothing as a kid and uh, it's nothing in the family either. Nothing that would have suggested Um Diabetes. Bizarre few months. Yeah, yeah. So you got your insulin. Um, how did things go from there? And and you know, particularly perhaps if you could talk about um it in relation to your work as a as a physio, if if there was any direct relationship. Yeah, so you get put on you get put on two types of insulin as a type one, uh, a long acting, which you inject. I inject it at nine o'clock at night because it's a convenient time. Um and that, that kind of is in your system for 24 hours. It's a long acting. And so it tides you over between meals. And then you take a short acting insulin, which lasts about four hours, peaks at about two hours, and you you, you take that with meals. And if only it was a matter of them sitting you down and saying, take this dose with meals and this dose with at nine o'clock, but it's really not. You've got a, you have so much learning to do you've got to figure out what your dose is at night. I've no idea how we did that. We just must have picked a number and then titrated it up or down. Then the food stuff, they, it's, it's, I inject currently one unit of insulin for every 10 grams of carbs I eat, which means looking at a plate and, and estimating that and then thinking, what am I going to eat after this as well? Like 
the it's impossible it, it totally changes your relationship with food um so and and not in the way that people fit people often are, this is the best bit of being um, diagnosed i beg go back to the wards in the big hospital and everyone would say Felicity, you must go for lunch um, you know, at 12 o'clock on the door, you must go for the early lunch because you're diabetic. And I'd be like, great, I'm absolutely ravenous. Nothing to do with diabetes. It's kind of not how it works. If you're if you're falling off a cliff at, at mealtimes, that's something to change with their insulin. That's my problem to change with my insulin dose. Um, you have to go for lunch. I'm <laughs> delighted with that. So yes, please, I'll have my lunch. Um, just I'm just hungry. You know, mm. like thank you for letting me go have my lunch. Um, but I remember having to, you know, those tunics. I could never get away with the polo shirt. I needed the tunic because suddenly I had the test kit, which was about the shape of the size of a, like a wallet, uh, with this blood sugar test kit and the the blood, uh, the the strips and the finger pricker that was in there. I also had um. A, a stack of dextrose lozenges that would that would be in there um and it, it you just suddenly have a load of stuff i can't i don't think i would carry my insulin around i think i would always have to go to my locker take it to lunch and then and then go back but you do end up just carting a load of stuff around um and i remember the um the head of physio she didn't give this feedback directly to me but but i heard it from other senior physios above me and and she said, it, you know, it makes me mad to this day because she said, oh, isn't it great that Felicity got this diagnosis and she's just kind of slipped into it. And, and you know, I didn't take any time off. I didn't um, I didn't say, oh, I can't do on calls for the, at the minute because I'm figuring out my blood sugars through the night. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. Should we celebrate that? Oh, well done you for not making any inconvenience uh with this major diagnosis to our, the running of our department <laughs> so yeah. like, at the time I thought oh yeah good I'm a good physio I'm a good physio and I'm a good bad vibe and I'm a good diabetic um uh, but yeah I'm a bit like I don't know let's maybe not mm. and have you that. have you had the opportunity since to talk to anybody you know going through that process and with hindsight being able to say, you know, don't push yourself in this time or don't underestimate how difficult it is to manage this balancing phase. I think I've I've heard, I don't think I've spoken directly to, to newly diagnosed type ones, but people people who have them in their family, I tend to hear from them and uh, or patients and hear about newly diagnosed type ones. And I always say like, it takes time. It it really, do, you, you don't just slip into it as much as it looked like that to the head of physio. Because I w kept going to work, of course. Um, it's it, I'm, I'm still I think a lot of people expect you to, oh yeah it'll be difficult at first but then have you have you managed it now are you managing your blood sugars now you know like you have that tough time and then it's fine and it's not it's constantly changing like for instance that that plate of, of carbohydrates I'm injected for those carbohydrates that I've guessed as well if it hasn't if it's not labeled on the packet or whatever what have you um but equally I'm thinking Ah, is it? Am I, is my period next week? My blood sugars are probably running a bit higher, or have I just come back from a run? In which case, I'm going to reduce my insulin. I'm a bit stressed. My blood sugars are a bit higher. Um, I'm my blood sugars a bit higher, and because maybe I'm coming down with something, or I am ill, and and they're, they're higher. I'm going to in, increase my insulin. Um, oh, it's hotter, so my insulin's going to work faster, so I reduce it. There's, yeah, I'm hungover. My liver is busy doing other stuff. I got to reduce my insulin then. The, the factors are there's a list i've seen a list on instagram and i can't remember how many it was but it's there's stacks of things that can influence your blood glucose that it's not just a matter of doing it for a bit and then being really good at it yeah gosh you, you totally to my shame you've completely re-educated me just in the last 10 minutes so yeah i would have been in the camp of you get diagnosed you get your insulin the insulin deals with it job done crack on with your life yeah um, I did not realise there was that level of analysis needing to go on in addition. And I actually, again, to my shame, didn't even realise that you would change the insulin dose. So yeah. What she decided, that was it every day. Same yeah. thing. And even the long... Go on. I was going to say, that answers a question which I didn't realise I wanted to ask you, but <laughs> you kind of answered it anyway. Um, so when you responded and said, oh, I want to talk about being a clinician and diabetic, that's really interesting because... You know, the, this whole series is about the fact that clinician is a really strong identity and yet 
we all carry these other identities with us. And just from what you've just explained, I can see how almost overnight that diabetic identity had to become very strong because there was so much you had to think about. And it completely makes sense that that you would you would respond to that call of, you know, what other identities do we have? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I could easily have made the same mistake as your boss at that time. That, yeah, you just, yeah, well done, Felicity, she's obviously fine. Quite yeah, she just rolled in, rolled along with it. it, it it's true, and you, I've, I've, I've read it said before that you are acting, you are your pancreas now as a type 1 diabetic. You your job is to you have to keep yourself alive by doing the job that your pancreas used to do and if you stop doing that job you you die or if you don't do that job well enough you might die um or or at best you might get some serious complications like losing your sight or your legs or um the sensation in your feet it's it's a really like it's it's a lot, um, and I don't think we get enough credit, which, which I'm happily happy to, to kind of to change on the podcast. Um, but yes, I, I also, you know, I think there's there's a lot of of shaming that goes on. You know, I heard loads of people say to me, um, "Oh, but you you're probably very good at managing your blood sugars." My brother's friend's diabetic, and he, oh, he's like terrible. So much. He's he's always drinking, and I always say, "Well, you are allowed. Like he's allowed to live his life, um, but he's always eating this kind of food. Also allowed. There's there's no rules. There's no um, with type one in particular. With type two, it might be different if you're told to cut down on certain carbohydrate um, in your diet. But with type one, the nurse said to to us, "You go on a little course to, to learn to carb, count carbohydrates." Um, and she said, "If you want to eat donuts every day for breakfast, that's your prerogative." She says, "Obviously, I'm gonna as a as a healthcare professional say there are other healthcare concerns that you you may not want to eat donuts every day for breakfast, but but none of us should be eating donuts literally every day for breakfast." Uh, but with type one, she's like, "My my job is to make sure that." you know how much to inject for that that donut mm. for mm. breakfast rather than say well you can't eat that uh, but there's a lot of a lot of like oh you you seem like a good diabetic but my friend and i think wow what's their, their crime is that they like to go out and drink but like yeah. like all 20 odd year olds well i mean actually this is an extreme story um and i'll be careful about confidentiality but at my kids school this year there was a teacher well actually it's been in the national um, news so it mm. is on is in that sphere um he was a diabetic and he'd actually left their school last year and worked in a different school in bristol went out on a christmas work do um, and went missing and his body was found in the uh, bristol channel on sunday night and no sort of foul play discovered Mm. as far as they could tell and, and the conclusions probably that he'd been at they had a heavy session yeah um he, he certainly was in the kids were all aware he was diabetic and he talked about it a lot and you know they would be a bit eye-rolly about it something's going on about it how to eat stuff and blah 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 um but you know clearly that that was a scenario that went very wrong and yeah uh, probably just slipped and it was it was the coldest night of the year slipped into the ice cold water yeah so yes you, you, you know, it sounds dramatic doesn't it when well people might think it sounds dramatic when you say you could die but yeah, yeah. You, completely yeah it's 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 such a difficult balance for me to strike because i'm very much wanting everyone to think at all times that i'm fine i'm fine and i've got it much like everything in my life you know I'm fine, I don't need any help, I'm totally fine. But I also, at the same time, want them to understand that it's like, it is very serious. And I'm doing a lot to to ensure my my own safety. But it's totally fine. You know, I don't need to worry, yeah. but I also want some credit. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a real balance. Like, it pisses me off when people are like, oh, you've had a lot to drink. Should you be injected? Should, oh, what do you, I'm like, oh, pardon, pardon me. What would you advise? Do, do, like, I'm, I'm, be doing this since I was 22 what what would you suggest that, that I should you be eating that oh I'm so sorry like <laughs> it's just, a whole another layer to just healthy oh, eating or lifestyle isn't it oh it is yeah 
I remember uh, one one boss at work I'd come in and they'd brought bagels for the team. He says, um, oh, Felicity, are you, can you have one of these bagels? And my response is always, oh, why? Are they poisoned? Because I, I know I can't eat things that are poisoned. Uh, but yes, I can eat a bagel. <laughs> Leave me alone with my bagel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot Do of... You know what, that you've just, um, well, partly you've just triggered in my head that I didn't introduce you and what you do at all, but I'm going to do it now because it relates to what I want <laughs> to ask you. So sorry, everybody. I um, forgot that as well. Welcome to Felicity Thatch. She's an MSK <laughs> physio. <laughs> just rewind a bit. Felicity is an MSK physio who divides her time between working for, well, for herself as FT physio and for Flick and Kane. And um, Flick's been involved in um, the realm of chronic pain for a long time. And I, that's a bit I wanted to ask you about because, you know, I can, I'm sure it's um, something you've considered, but I can see so many parallels with chronic pain and pacing and, you know, the, the judgment again, should you be doing that activity mm. because you're going to regret it later, you're going to crash and almost by implication that's going to have an effect on other people. So I'm putting words in your mouth, but has it made you think about other long-term chronic conditions and the, the judgments we place around people's activities and decision-making? Yeah, completely. Especially when I hear people say, oh, you know, oh, this type one diabetic behaves like this. I'm like, we're all just human beings though, aren't we? And none, none of us are eating amazingly well or like living stress-free, super active lifestyles no, nobody is perfect uh, but yet we expect our patients to live up to this standard mm-hmm. um and that's not necessarily something i feel from um the diabetic clinic or my, my, my own doctors but it but i do feel it's something we we do as healthcare professionals mm-hmm. um it's yeah i mean it, i feel like i'm a generally a fairly compassionate person i don't think i needed a chronic health condition to understand somebody else's experience of a chronic health condition uh but it it definitely does make you acutely aware that we're all, we're all just trying our best we're all just human um yeah i mean the, i don't know if you've heard the two episodes i did with carly gibson about being um uh, physio and uh, diagnosis of neurodiversity it's, yeah dyslexia and I mean, particularly the second one that carly described the daily strategies and practices that are at play in her life to, yes, to make her own experience of her life easier, but I really was struck by how hard she's working to not cause other people problems. Yeah. And she didn't describe it that way, but it's, it's that, that effectively is, is one um, side of it. And, and all these unseen conditions where people are working very, very hard in the background. Yeah. To, I don't know if it's appear normal or to not cause problems, but yeah, you, you don't see how hard some people are working at all, do you? It it reminds me of it's it's a thing I have with patients at the minute. I've I've started running more and my, my blood sugars are responding by being very much lower than normal because I'm replenishing presumably I'm replenishing my glycogen stores mm-hmm. um quicker than usual more more than usual so my and I'm still getting used to it I'm still getting used to reducing my dose it's a trust thing as well because I, I I'm terrified of high blood sugars more than I'm, I am of low because I could immediately treat a low whereas high is what contributes to these long-term conditions long-term complications um it's a whole other thing anyway I've not being quick to reduce my insulin doses for say my lunch uh but my i then go to work and i'll have a hypo at work and that used to be diabetes used to be a really invisible illness uh now it's slightly more audible illness because of the the sensor that i have so um, i have a a thing called a libra on my arm um which if you've ever seen it's like a mine's just short smaller than a 10 pence piece a white disc on my arm it sits in my interstitial fluid it's, it's the same thing it's the same thing Zoe, oh, okay. Zoe is weird but like what what if you're not diabetic just enjoy that don't obsess about your blood sugars it makes it makes me confused uh so I have this Libra which talks to my phone via bluetooth um and so when I, I no longer need to, to prick my fingers or scan it it just 
tells my phone what my blood sugars are. So just open the app and I see it. And I have an alarm set. So it tells me when my blood sugars are going above 11 and it tells me when they're going below four. I, I don't so much care at work if they're going above 11, but I definitely care if they're going below four because mm-hmm. that's a hypo. Um, and of course, like hypos feel a bit like you kind of you can lose your tra- you lose your train of thought. It's it's really hard to push through. It's it's a bit like the feeling if you've ever exercised without eating as much before, and it's that kind of like shaky hand feeling. Um, yes, it's it, it is, and and so I need to eat eat some gummy bears. So what's been happening a lot recently is in the middle of of say an objective assessment the alarm which is the most annoying sound in the world will go off like unignorable uh and i'll have to pause that conversation and then be like now that alarm i am just gonna have to check that don't be alarmed it is a medical emergency but it's fine uh you stay calm you're fine uh, i'm fine but i do just have to eat precisely 10 gummy bears I, I'd switch this alarm off one second, um, and then like the 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 peak of people pleasing, and this is this like what I what I strive for is I eat those ten gummy bears, and I'm like true right, right, and then I'll come back to that conversation and like not miss a beat of it, and go. Mm, so you were telling me about your cycle and, and your um and your knee pain with that, like this is insane. Do I've you got offer so... them a gummy bear as well. Does it... Does <laughs> I'm, I'm just simply offering them a lot of reassurance that I'm not about to die. They don't need to call an ambulance. This is all going to be fine, mm. providing I eat these 10 gummy bears. Um, with suboptimal brain glucose, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. Um, but yeah, you've got it. The challenge for me is uh, the, the goal I set myself is to just pick up that conversation right where we left off. No, no, allow no doubt in their head that I wasn't paying attention or that this has affected my capacity to treat them and their condition in any way. I so understand that. I'm sure every clinician listening will understand that, you know, without diabetes or a diagnosed condition, yeah, you've just articulated what we do all the time, isn't it? It's that I am the professional, I've got this, don't worry. Yeah. Um, you, you reminded me of a the time. So my daughter had a years ago. She had a fall in a games lesson at school, and she fractured her wrist. But she also bashed her face, and they thought she had a head injury. Mm. And um, there was a knock on the door. It was my last patient of the day. The practice manager said, "Joe, um, uh, she described that situation, and she used the word potential head injury." Mm. And I went, "Okay, thank you. That's fine." I went back to finish off the technique. You know the the therapy technique I was performing and the patient looked to me they heard their conversation they went Joe stop you need to go now wow but you know yeah my oh my god I'm ashamed to admit it the the professional overrode that clear emergency situation that I needed to go and deal with it it is mad yeah yeah and to me as well I'm also like this is like a, a daily occurrence at this point you know these hypos at work um and I don't I don't need a lot of time but yeah it is the like I desperately don't want to I don't want to interfere with that person's amygdala amongst all of this you know like uh, yeah let's so not make you, them feel threatened have you found a way through this because clearly you know that that's a one-off dramatic situation for me but this is something you're managing you know on a regular basis have you have you found any ways to calm that <laughs> professional yet. reaction not, not yet no not yet I, I really want my my approach has been to speak to my diabetic consultant. I had my annual review in, in January. The problem there is it's so, it's so like, have you tried reducing your insulin? <laughs> like, well, yes, but I also, like, it, I, I haven't got the calculation right. I like 10 grams of carbs, one unit of insulin. Um, and they'll, they'll say, reduce it by 20 or 30%. I'm like, yeah. oh no, that sounds hard. Um, not, not hard, but I'm reluctant. It, it's scary to reduce your insulin and the thought of just going high, even though my alarm will tell me and I'll probably be fine. Um, I'll almost certainly be fine. It's just so yeah, that's it's the true. fix, isn't it? And, you know, yes, that's that's extremely critical information that you must have. But what you're describing is the mindset of I can't be seen to falter. I can't be seen yeah. to have anything that diminishes my bulletproof armory as this professional. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever have a, have a way around that. I'd, I'd maybe step outside. I'd maybe go as far as that, but no further. But 
but but also i don't i don't think i need to to do much but it is yeah is is uh, it just feels important to me that the 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 thing this person doesn't go away with is the story of how their physio had a hypo in the session so let me pick up on the zoe thing um because mm. everybody in this dog has got a zoe thing these days yeah um, i haven't but i have significantly reduced my carb intake this year and appreciated mm. the benefits of it okay but yeah no that's a really interesting comment from you like why if you don't have to do it medically then don't why why do you care they, they're perfectly i hate the thing when people say can we test my blood sugars i used to get it a lot when i didn't have the lever when i would just be finger pricking can we test mine it's the worst game in the world like yeah we'll test yours oh look it's five you're not diabetic yeah well surprise, done surprise. yeah shock your your homeostasis is working perfectly uh so is zoe picking up, i haven't got the zoe patch i've got that um is zoe picking up um small variations in normal as far as you so from what from what i said which i i i'm happy to be corrected by anyone who actually uses it but i have seen non-diabetics graphs and there is fluctuations um so because a lot of people look at my graphs i can show, I can show you this is not very good podcast information is it but um well it's just i'll not show you because it's going high um but it's normal for it to 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 go up and down with your meals and little things that happen through the day. And the the great thing about non-diabetics is that your your body is on top of that and it's going, yeah. oh, well, I'll stop secreting insulin or I'll secrete glucagon instead. And it, it balances out. Um, I, I just think, wicked, put your feet up and enjoy that meal. Um, within reason, of course, there are bigger, there's the bigger picture, isn't there? You know, as I say, if we're all eating donuts for breakfast, that's not ideal. Um, but I'm not, I'm not so worried. There's a lot about spikes as well. And I I, yeah. I don't know what the, I personally just don't know yet the link between um, think something like type 2 diabetes and, and the spikes um, of, of blood glucose. But to my knowledge, the spike is going to be fairly normal because you've, because you've eaten. And yeah. it's going to be much less than my spike, which is, I love when people say, I'm having a blood sugar crash. <laughs> You're like, Oh, are you? <laughs> well, you've gone from like a five to a four, um, and and I I just don't know whether, yeah, knowing about that maybe just if you're worried about blood sugar spikes maybe just don't eat a full packet of Haribo <laughs> or ten gummy bears when you're not tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but then again, eat them sometimes because probably yeah. fine. You know, it's like it's it's a it's like the, the Coke Zero thing. I like, don't, don't drink it's the aspartame. I'm like, well, probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, actually, Nick, I'm going to pause here because um, talking of bodily functions taking over, I'm desperate for a wee. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'm going to do a Jack March now. Yeah. And um, go and have a wee, and then I won't be distracted by that. Um, I might get a drink because yeah my, the blood sugar I was going to show you it's it's because I am um, overcorrected for that hypo on my run yeah, um I, I might inject a unit and have a drink leave this in because you know this is this is my bladder and your blood sugar that we are humans yes. as well as being clinicians we will we'll get Jack to cut out the bit where I'm having a wee and the bit where we there. rustle around in the background yeah yeah, yeah. but let's go and do that brilliant see you in a bit <laughs> see you in a bit This is like the podcast version of live TV. It is. <laughs> it's it is all happening. It is. I would okay. like. I would like to say that me needing a wee is on a par with you potentially having a massive um, blood sugar blood spike. Sugar spike. But, but, you know. It's um. It all compromised. High blood sugar is not an not an emergency really. So it's the high. Okay, yeah. So where I was going to go um, before distract, being distracted by my blood was you mentioned that you would make the distinction between type two and type one. And I think mm -hmm. that probably, so we, when we're talking about the Zoe and you know everybody these days obsessing about their blood sugar, we're, we're almost drifting into that, oh, am I moving towards type two diabetic situation if I'm having insulin spikes and this and the other, aren't we? What's, yeah. your, what's your thought around all of that? Or what, what's the relevance um, here with type one, type two? Well, it's it's sometimes it's inter interesting that they called them both diabetes because they're very different disease processes. 
that really the only similarity is is the, the symptom, which is high blood glucose. Mm. And I, I remember being on that elderly rehab rotation, working with a lot of type two diabetics because they'd often had amputations. So they'd had their amputation in the acute hospital and then they'd be transferred to the rehab hospital to work on their mobility and their transfers and things in order to go home. And I remember thinking, gosh, I really must learn the difference between type one and type two diabetes. I really must learn. And the universe was like, oh, well, I'll tell you the difference. They've got type two and you've got type one. Uh, I thought, oh, I'll definitely know the difference now. So I mean, really, would it be useful to go over that? Like what the difference is? Yeah. Because because I didn't know at the time. Um, What I describe it as is, so, so type one, which is what I have, is a lack of insulin the the part of your pancreas it's not the whole pancreas it's a tiny percentage of your pancreas stops working because of an autoimmune response and you stop secreting insulin and what i like to think of insulin as is the key to unlock your muscles and your organs to to blood glucose so you no longer have any keys to unlock so your your glucose is just in your blood which is why you have high blood glucose so you have all this energy but you can't use it you can't give it to your organs or your muscles. You can't use it for energy, which is why you end up tired. Um, and then because you've got so much of it in your blood, your body starts rejecting it and you end up peeing it out, which is why you end up going to the toilet a lot and you end up really thirsty. And then the waste product of of this high high blood glucose is, is ketones, which is then what they test for in your urine. And that, that's what, that buildup of ketones, you end up... Um, in um what you call ketoacidosis which is a like a metabolic um state and that would be the diabetic coma it would be yes yes you end up in this acidotic state uh because of the buildup of ketones so the so that's your your type one your you have no keys you've 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 just got a load of blood glucose sat there a load of energy sat in in the blood not able to, to get in the in the organs whereas type two you have the keys, but your locks aren't great anymore. So you, you, the receptors, the things that the insulin interacts with, they're slower, they're rustier. And so, you, yeah, you have all the keys you want. Some type 2 diabetics end up injected insulin. I presume that's just to kind of boost. I don't, I don't know enough oh, about really? type 2. Yeah, so it's, I think if you, if you... The type 2 diabetics who have known injected insulin tend to, to really need that extra bit of bit of help. So it's not a standard treatment for, for type two mm-hmm. um, for everyone. Um, but the medication like metformin aims to make those receptors more sensitive. And right. then the, the method of treating um, type two by reducing your carbs and increasing your activity levels also makes you more insulin receptive. Um, so you, you as, as I'm finding exercise, makes me really sensitive um to to my in, to my injected insulin uh nice. whereas whereas with type 2 yeah it, it's a it's a good way of managing your blood sugar being more active uh and also reducing the amount of carbs so reducing the amount of work i guess that your receptors are having to do yeah um and Whereas type one, so a lot of people say, oh, what if you just exercise more? Is is this because you ate a lot of sweets as a kid? And you're like, well, no, because it's it's an autoimmune thing. Um, No. It it, it also annoys me when when I hear people shaming type twos as well, because as I say, none of us are perfect people with our perfect Mm -hmm. diets and perfect activity levels. Um, And it's a really hard thing to deal with type two, I think partly because of the stigma attached to it i always worried that if if i got get older and put on weight and people know i'm diabetic that they might assume i'm type 2 and get i get shamed for that i'm like that's that's a crazy thing to to do to people um but but we do and, and yet halle berry is type 2 diabetic mm. um so steve redgrave is diabetic and i and i think it's um we're not sure i don't think he's um said whether he's type 1 or type 2 but there is some conversation that he might be type 2 uh, so sometimes it is just genetic or your, your yeah, ethnicity can contribute other processes beyond as you say being overweight and, and having donuts for breakfast yeah yeah and yet we we really stigmatize people for for their their diagnosis and it's just a hard thing to live imagine having to cut down your carbohydrates so that's really rubbish and, and everyone constantly policing your diet as well or we or you please i'm just thinking of two friends um two male friends of mine similar age who 
got diagnosed type 2 recently both actually quite active um people yeah. are not massively overweight but they have both managed it brilliantly through diet but i would say there's been a when they got their diagnosis they were hugely embarrassed i remember them both telling me yeah. oh my god i've been diagnosed type, i'm borderline type 2 diabetic isn't that awful and of course i'm going to deal with it and get on with it and you know both been on really extreme diets and yes done very well been good good boys and I'm sure yeah cut in the back from diabeticness but yeah you're right and, and probably a bit extreme in management and I'm sure that's influenced by how they feel about it themselves based on what society possibly feels about it what they think society feels about it big say yeah yeah it's, it's, it's baffling isn't it it's like it's a really hard thing to live with. Because we don't want yeah. to go, okay, well, it's fine. Everybody just get tucked to that thing and don't worry about it. But yeah, yeah there's definitely a middle ground. Yeah. Mm. Really interesting. Um, absolutely much more interesting than I thought a conversation. Everyone, was, I, I, about I find that. I find that with type, <laughs> yeah, you think, oh, type diabetes. But, um, I did an in-service on it once and I, I think people were surprised and be like, oh, right, this, is, this is interesting. Uh, one of the things I said to people was, was, one of the things I, I stopped doing when I became diabetic when, was asking people, you know, when we ask people about their medical history, mm. any diabetes, um, specify type one or type two. Uh, but whenever they say yes, you know, the next question was always, and is it well controlled? Mm. <laughs> I don't no longer good? ask that. Are you very good? Is it well controlled? But also, has anybody ever answered no? No. It's not well controlled. Oh, it's shocking. Or uh, absolute roller coaster. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say say that. Um, and and also well controlled is like it, it's such a it's such a big thing. You kind of you get an annual blood test of your HbA1c, which is your um, kind of a three month marker of your blood sugars. So so. You, it gives them an idea. I guess they used to use it when you were just writing down your blood sugars. Uh, you could go, oh, they're all perfect. And they'd go, well, your HbA1c says otherwise. Um, but it is, it's a bit of a snapshot of the past three months. And so you have that. But my HbA1c went went down by about four points in, in January, which you'd think would be fantastic. But it was previously okay. Now it's like brilliant. But it's because I keep having these very annoying hypos you know, three, four times a day because because of my running, um, and so it's not it's it's, it's not. But anyway, the, the 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 point I'm making is it to to sum up whether my diabetes is well controlled at this moment in time. Is that's a huge question that I don't think we have time for in my assessment of my you know sports knee injury. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very. It's a funny thing. Like, are you prepared for the answer that this person might go, oh, well, my HbA1c is this. Like, what are you going to do about it? Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, my big takeaways like, are um, that, yes, there's a shed load more management involved than I had contemplated. And this really interesting piece, not specific to diabetes, but diabetes is a really great way Adjacent. to, to um, illustrate it of this desperate need that we have to be the in control professional yeah. all the time and if you're carrying clinician and anything how you must never let that show never let it affect absolutely you. you've got to pick up that conversation the way you left off yeah which we have got to manage haven't we because we've got to find a way around that because we all you know not all diabetic but we're all clinician and something yeah and it will come out um, at some point with a patient yeah one actually one final question i wanted to ask you which is cool because you're not there yet i presume but um you know when you were saying in your hypo oh i get brain foggy and stumble over my words i was thinking yes i was like menopause um yeah <laughs> and i'm sure it's it's much more heightened than that but do you know if there's any evidence that being diabetic and menopausal is problematic i, I don't know probably because they probably haven't done enough research into you know either one um but all the things that I, I think my my pressing concern is um is more about like overload injuries and bone density stuff and and, and thinking uh, there's a lot of potential healthcare complications coming my way just 
because I'm type 1 diabetic. They say it shaves 20 years off your life expectancy just at diagnosis, like no matter how well you do, that just that just is. Uh, I don't know how true that is. And I've heard it a few times. Uh, but so maybe I won't have to worry about it for too long. <laughs> I always think (laughs) I can get to 60 and then and then out that'd be great no 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 because then I'd have to probably pay more into my pension pot as well that's always my that's always my goal I'm like ah whenever I start worrying too much I think oh well (laughs) silver linings my husband was talking to um an IFA about pension he said well I can't rely on my assumption that I'm going to abuse myself so much that I'll talk before really positive outlook yeah <laughs> and if you want any life insurance as well and you're type 1 diabetic no, no can do no deal, can do I just don't have have it um yeah and it increases your your holiday insurance cover the real pain yes uh, i am feeling very humble and shame here it's so much more than i had got before. all right is there anything else you want to say about being a clinician and a diabetic i think i think one of the things so i was expecting the question what have you like being a being a patient which I am when I'm diabetic at the clinic, uh, has that changed how you are as a as a clinician, which we kind of we talked about as well. But I think actually the biggest thing has been being a clinician and working with people who live with things like chronic pain, because chronic pain is, is, is an interest of mine. Talking to people like that has actually changed how I am as a patient. So I am I'm much less likely now to be the people pleaser. As a patient, I, I, as a patient yeah, I'm like, I'm going to do the best I can with my diabetes because A, because it's me and B, it's my healthcare. It's within my interests to look after myself. Um, But I am also much more likely now to advocate for myself and to say that is a ridiculous suggestion that I will not be implemented. And that we do, we we, we, are healthcare professionals. We do suggest stupid things to people Mm. because we don't have to do them. Um, for instance, my, my doctor has two doctors in a row now have said, well, have you thought about, oh, one, there's two things I need to say. One is, have you thought about switching your alarm to go off when your blood sugar is five? So a hypo is anything below four, 3.9 below. Have you set your blood sugar alarm to go off at five? I was like, if my blood sugar is five, which is perfect, why would I want to know about that? Mm. I don't care. I'm getting on with my work. I'm getting on with my day. Mm. Yeah, what do you do with that information? Uh, yeah, and there's arrows on it. So if it's plummeting, then, then okay, cool, I've got the heads up, but I'm kind of it's going to go off at four anyway. It was just, I'm going to deal with it then. But so sometimes it's five and just five. Or mm. five and stay there. It's five and it's going up. But it's, um, yeah, it's just like, have, have, you, have you had an alarm that goes off whenever your blood sugar is optimum that it's so annoying or anything um, else any other bodily function which may yes perfect. yes shall we set your bladder to go off when you're like 75 percent needing the loo like, no let's Might just be helpful in my case really <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, yeah and the, the the other thing is when they um want you to inject um split the dose at night so sometimes i'll eat in my biggest meal will tend to be my evening meal and then the problem with big evening meal, like pizza is my nemesis. I love pizza, but because there's so much fat in it and carbs, fat gets digested first and then you end up with a very slow release. So if you want to avoid insulin spikes, um, sorry, blood glucose spikes, eat fatty foods, eat pizza though, eat pizza oh. because it's going to be a much slower spike okay. because it, the fat will get digested first. Now, this is all very well if your blood sugars um, are managed by your own insulin because your your own body's insulin will be counteracting that mm. rise all the time. Whereas my insulin works like now, on two hours and you're done. Well, four hours overall, but two hours we're, we're peaking. Um, so I'm I'm waking up at 2 a.m. With, with my blood sugar alarm going off saying, Oh, here's your pizza. Um, yeah, you've got high blood sugars, and so so the one of the ways around that is to split your dose, which just sounds like a lot of maths to me. And I kind of get around it by just waking up at two o'clock in the morning and with my alarm, and then injecting and, and going to sleep. Um, 
but the, yeah, the suggestion is you inject for, you know, say you were injecting 10 units for this pizza, you inject um, four or five with the pizza. And then two hours later, you, you kind of calculate the rest of that and then, and then inject. And I'm just like, who's doing, who wants to do that? I, I, want, I want my tea and then I want to go to bed. And bearing in mind, pizza is fairly often accompanied by an alcoholic beverage. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, set your alarm for two hours' time. Yeah, it's it's great. And, and often I'll be working um, till like maybe seven or eight. I mean, my tea at eight o'clock, half eight, nine. When two hours later, I, I want to be in bed. So I'll, I will often say, you know, normally, normally I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll definitely I'll try that. And I'm thinking, no, that will not work for me. <laughs> So I'm much, I'm much more likely to um, stick up for myself, I think. And, yeah. and, as, and as a clinician, I can, you know, to bring it back to our clinical role, mm. I think you know, we talk a lot about partnering and on the back of this conversation, I'm thinking, yes, and partnering sometimes means hearing the patient say, do you know what, that's a really stupid idea and it doesn't fit with my lifestyle for this reason. And yes. You know, sucking that up and finding another another way rather than just pushing our idealistic agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wish they'd, they'd read it as well. Like, you'll then get that next time and next because it's a different. You tend to see the registrar and who's a different. You know, who's rotated since since last year's annual review. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of tick box quite like, and and do you plan to have a family? Yeah. That's a whole other thing. I don't plan to have a family, but if I did. Type one diabetes takes the the romance and any spontaneity out of out of that. You really you've got a the first person to know tends to be your diabetic nurse, um, as in that you're considering having a family. Um, that just sounds a nightmare. Diabetic pregnancy. <laughs> um, <yeah>. All the fun. <laughs> there's so many fun parts. Joe, I can't believe you didn't know about them all. <laughs> Well, I, I've been continually ashamed through this podcast that I didn't. Um, I feel we should talk about some planned it at the end, partly to uh, lighten the atmosphere and because you yeah. did this jumper clearly for a reason. So yeah. um, how's your how's your sound finder like? Are you going to many gigs? He so I went to see him at uh, St James's Park in the summer. And that was brilliant. And I was really jammy and I went to two nights. And on the second the night... the most thing you can possibly do? See Sam Fender in St. James' Park with your accent? Yes. And <laughs> on, on the 9th of June, which was the Blade and Races day, um, you know, it was on the 9th of June. You uh, might not know this. is a... my black expression there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, then, and then the other... It, it, it was a real Geordie fest because then he brought out Brian Johnson and they sang... Um, they sound back in black and and oh, wow. all night long. It, I, I've never I've seen St James's Park in some good times, like in some enjoyable states. I've never seen anything like this. The place was jumping. It was it was brilliant. That sounds like a high point. <laughs> it was it was very cool, very cool. It was it was obviously I was in a Newcastle shirt as well. So what a wow. winner! So future Sam plans anything else in the I suspect he might be releasing an album. I don't know when. Maybe this year. Maybe next. Don't know. Um, he's he's been quiet, so hopefully that's a good thing. Yeah, something growing in the background. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for educating me. Um, no problem. <laughs> possibly more than anybody else listening to this. Maybe my level of ignorance is greater than. No, I think it's. Um, I think it's fairly common to to be like, oh well, yeah, you just inject. Right. Yeah. No, no. There's there's more to it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Flip, for talking about that. Um, partly to help us understand being diabetic and being a clinician, but also to, to bring up all those really thought-provoking points about um, people with unseen long-term chronic conditions and how we treat them and how we treat ourselves when we're carrying things alongside being a clinician. Absolutely. Conversation. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. All right. Well, have a lovely weekend um, and let's hope we get to meet and talk soon. Definitely. Cheers, folks. Thanks, Joe. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, as I said, I was educated a lot. Um, maybe I'm more ignorant than average on the subject of diabetes, particularly type 1 diabetes, but I 
if, if there were things that uh, brought you up to speed, then that's all good. I hope there were things that you found useful and that you might be able to take into clinical practice. And if you happen to be another condition of type 1 diabetic, I hope there was some stuff there that was, was useful to hear. Let's hope this conversation helps to raise understanding and um, empathy for, for people managing this condition, not just alongside being a clinician, but whatever their professional role is in life. So this, this series, Clinician and, and, it can extend to all sorts of things. It doesn't need to be clinician and a medical condition. It may just be clinician and the circumstance you find yourself in in life. Maybe clinician and single parent, clinician and going through menopause, uh, any, any number of things. If you if you recognise that there is an identity that sits alongside being a clinician that is either as strong or maybe even stronger, and you think it would be interesting to talk about in this series, then please do drop me a line and come, be, come and be a guest on that. If you are a clinician, and if you are a clinician and anything, trying to manage that condition alongside being a clinician, which generally involves trying to be all things for everybody in all spheres of life, then please, please remember that you are allowed to manage that condition, manage that state, you are allowed to fail, you are allowed to falter, because like everybody else, you matter. Mm -hmm.